Blog Talk Radio. Hello out there. My name is Sam Maxwell, and welcome to the Bedford & Sullivan Podcast, the podcast that keeps you, the audience, active listeners in the Brooklyn Dodgers TV series research process. And today, I am very, very happy to have somebody who keeps the namesake Gil Hodges going so strong, and that is Gil Hodges, Jr. How are you, Gil? Good morning, Sam. Well, I'm glad you could join me, and... Um, we were talking off air a bit about Brooklyn, and that's really where I want to start, and that's uh, very much uh, the story that I'm trying to tell here. So uh, tell me, what was it like growing up in a city uh, like Brooklyn? Brooklyn is an unbelievable city, Sam. Um, the people are really the greatest. Um, when I was young, uh, the Dodgers were, of course, an integral part of, of my life, only because that's what my father did for a living, a baseball player. But the surroundings, you know, having you look back and having people like um, Duke Snyder and Pee Wee Reese be mainstays in your house and not really realizing who they were, just yeah. regular people. Um, and as you grow older, um, retrospectively, you look back and, and <laughs> get to see who they were it was quite awe-inspiring. It really was. Yeah. Um, what, do you, what do you remember, anything uh, specifically about, even though you were very, very young, what do you remember about uh, living in Brooklyn and, and uh, the Dodgers specifically? Well, I remember, um, I think it was 1956, they had Gil Hodges' night at Ebbets Field, um, which was a great time. My, my dad's mom and dad were there. Um, his brother, his sister. And um, what they did was they drove out, I, I think it was six cars, onto the field. And each car, um, its name was put on a baseball. And I had to choose which baseball he was going to be awarded. <laughs> so uh, it was pretty cool. I still have pictures from that. And uh, that was a, a great, vivid memory. And, and what car did you pick? I picked a Dodge. <laughs> How about that? And, and uh, what, what was the reception of, of everybody? Uh, you know, everybody just... Of course, they were more tuned to the, the connection um, than I was at the time. But later mm. on, I, I realized what was taking place. Uh, you know, it was, it was good. It was very funny and uh, very coincidental. What what were it, you know it's hard to pin this down but what, what were the other cars the Dodge was going up against? You know honestly I I couldn't even tell you it it, it wasn't a large variety of choices but yeah. <laughs> I, I I'm not sure. Well, I had uh, once heard that um, some people were bummed that you picked the Dodge. <laughs> uh, yeah. <laughs> There's a pun. Very good. Right. Well done. Right. Uh, well, you know, it's obviously hard to peg this down since your father played baseball for a living, but what is your earliest baseball memory? I think uh, spending time at spring training, Vero Beach for the Dodgers. You know, um, and my sister, I have a sister who's one year younger than me, um, so we were both at spring training in Florida, you know, with my mom and uh 
I have some memories of, of, of being at spring training only because of the vast size of Vero Beach, the complex of baseball fields. It was really awe-inspiring, especially for, you know, young adults. It was, it was really nice. I believe it still uh, exists in some form in terms of uh, a baseball complex down there. Uh, and and I think they're calling it historic Do- uh, Dodger Town. I don't yes. think that it's it has any other name. I'd love to go down there and, and take a look. Oh boy, I'll tell you something. I can remember, you know, the sleeping quarters having like a a pool table, a ping pong table inside, uh, almost like a barracks type mm-hmm. of setup. Um, you know, where the players would stay. Really, really interesting. What do you remember about 1955? Um, just really, you know, the insanity that took place um, in my mind when they won. I think it was the first and only World Series that the Dodgers had ever won. Uh huh. Mm-hmm. And it was just, I mean, the people just erupted. It was just, you know, police escorts. And it was just, it was unbelievable. Unbelievable. Now, everybody was, was going crazy. Do you, re- you know, um, do you remember seeing an older man and, and what his reaction, did, did you see any more cerebral reactions from the older generation who had lived an entire almost half century? Without yeah, you know, unfortunately, I was too young to make that correlation at the time. Mm-hmm. Uh, later on, of course, you you. you get to see more and more and retrospectively look back at, at what took place. This was something, like you said, you know, the, the common saying was wait till next year. Mm-hmm. The Dodgers won the pennant a tremendous amount of times. Unfortunately, they couldn't beat the Yankees. So it was always wait till next year. And, you know, 1955 uh, became this is next year because this is uh, the year they won. Now, did you play baseball as a child? Yes. I played baseball, uh, got drafted by the Mets, played in the minor league system for the Mets, and then went over to the Cardinals for a while. Mm-hmm. Got uh, hurt, and so the baseball experience ended after about three years. Well, what do you remember about playing baseball in Brooklyn? Uh, I used to play at the parade grounds, um, you know, where Tory played and uh, Papatone played. Um, baseball in Brooklyn was, was unbelievable. I mean, every Saturday morning, we would take the bus and play a triple header. And Sunday, it started later because everyone went to mass first, and we'd play a double header. So we played five games on the weekend, organized baseball. <laughs> and, uh, you know, that's what we did. And it was just great, absolutely great. Is there any uh, is there any specific story uh, of a game that comes to mind? Um, you know, probably hitting into a triple play. <laughs> <laughs> Unfortunately, comes to mind. But uh, you know, it was playing the game, and I can remember playing at Marine Park. Um, when I was in grammar school. And uh, we lived about, I want to say, maybe 15, 20 blocks away. 
and I made an error uh, in the last inning, and it caused us to lose the game. Oh, man. And I, I was never, and I can vividly remember being so upset that I put my glove on the ground and kicked it almost all the way home. Oh, wow. Just, just step by step. That's how much, you know, that's how upset I was. It must but, have been really scraped by the end. Oh, gosh. It was just, it was unbearable. <laughs> unbearable. Wow. That feeling of letting down, you know, all your friends. You know, baseball is really, uh, it, it's, it's about the people you're with. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's, that's, uh, that's perfect. Um, now, what was it like having Gil Hodges as, as a father? Well, again, at, at that age, you know, that was just dead. That wasn't a Gil Hodges. You know, Duke Snyder was just Duke. Right. And, and Harold was always, you know, peewee. So it, 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 it couldn't make the correlation because this was someone... I was too young, unfortunately, in Brooklyn when he played for the Dodgers to make the correlation outside of a parent. You know, this was my father, um, you know, who I loved unconditionally, who loved me unconditionally. But, you know, he was my dad first. Mm -hmm. He was a baseball player afterwards, and everybody's, you know, hero afterwards. So, so what, what kind of what kind of see that till later? So what kind of father was Gil Hodges? Um, the same type as as I can give you a, a good idea of what kind of father Gil Hodges was. The same type of manager, <laughs> and the same type of manager that people got to see when he managed the Mets. He was fair. He was. He never asked a lot. He always asked you to be respectful. I, I can always remember one of his things. Whenever there would be any confrontation with my mom, and we would refer to her, I would refer to her, you know, in a sentence with him going back and forth as she, that would get stopped instantly. And it would be, who is she? Because you certainly can't be talking about your mother referring to her as she. So there was a tremendous amount of respect instilled to us, um, a tremendous amount of faith. You know, Sundays was um, religion, mass. Um, very, he was a very strong believer in God um, and his country. I mean, he loved this country. I didn't well, know for a long time, you know, what he had done in the service. Mm-hmm. It was a, an area that he never wanted to talk about. He only wanted to, you know, what did you do, Dad, in the war? I was, you know, I worked behind a desk. What do you mean you worked behind a desk? What did that mean? You know, I'm trying to, to, to grasp what you did because, you know, I read about it, study about it. And it, it didn't happen until coincidence that a reporter called the house later on, I might have been 12, 14, and said, you know, is your dad home? No, he's not. And he said, okay, I wanted to talk to him about the medals that he won. What medals? 
the medals that he won, you know, when he was in Marine Corps. So we had a little confrontation when he came home. It was yeah. just an, you yeah. know, an area that, that, that he didn't want to discuss, something he did, and it had to be left there. Now, you know, this, this is a loaded question, but, but how do you think that, um, that weighed on him keeping all that bottled up? Uh, you know, being, being from Indiana, that's what he, you know, was taught and, and believed. Um, so you don't, you don't think about it. It's just what you do. He, you know, would get very upset um, later on in life. I got to see, you know, he would get very upset when he not so much played because, you know, as a player, you can go for four and your team wins. And that really encompasses the 0 for 4 because those are individual stats. And those were things that he was never concerned about. But as a manager, you're responsible for everyone. So you take on everyone's loss when the team loses. And that took a big toll on him. So I think that that um, probably led a lot to his... Um, you know, second heart attack. Right. Exactly. Well, you know, before we get get to uh, the end of his life, uh, let's let's talk a little bit about the, that that Mets team and uh, those Mets teams. Um, you know, growing you growing up in Brooklyn, uh, were you excited when he took the Mets job initially? Yes, absolutely. Um, I remember, you know, of course, a lot more of him playing for the Mets, um, you know, getting to meet Casey and everyone, because now as time progresses, I'm getting older and older. But when he became the manager of the Mets, um, what was I must have been 17, 18 years old. Mm-hmm. So now in this time frame, everything is different. Everything is thank goodness, still somewhat vivid and clear. That was a a total, total different perspective of who he was, you know, and everything else. Because his first managerial part was in Washington, where we used to go spend the summers. And then when when he came and got the job with the Mets, that was just the best of the best. Yeah. What was that first year like for you, 1968? Um, exciting, very exciting. It was the installation of his thoughts, his beliefs to his players. And I got to see that. I I understood that. I understood that there would be no more concept of, you know, we're just a happy bunch of losers. Right. That was not going to apply anymore. Um, and the direction that they were going to take was going to be a direction only on the positive side. You know, everyone plays hard every play. It's not a lot to ask. No, it's not. Uh, It's a lot to achieve, (laughs) which is hard to understand, but it's not a lot to ask. And, you know, that takes time. It takes time for 
another 25 people to understand you, who you are, and what you're trying to teach them. Um, it was it was a, a, a learning curve for someone for my dad, but more so for the players. And, you know, you see that when all these years after his death, the way they still talk about him. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, he had run-ins. I don't want to say run-ins. That's not a good phrase. He had uh, learning curves with all of them, all of the players, you know, because you have so many different personalities. But he wasn't concerned about how they felt about him. He was never trying to be their friend. He was always going to be the person who told them what to do. And he was able to make that distinction. And he made that distinction in a way where they had so much respect for him. I mean, you hear Tom Seaver talk about him. You know, next to Tom's dad, he's probably yeah. he was probably the closest person he ever had. And, and by the way, this is episode number 41. Uh, and I wanted to—I forgot to make that correlation at the beginning, uh, in terms of not only Tom Seaver, but the fact that your dad's number was the reverse in 14, and, and mm-hmm. uh, Tom and, and him had so many uh, such a great connection. I mean, you see it. Tom Seaver does break down every time he's talking about Gil at some point. Oh, it's—you know—they—they they shared being in the Marines together, which you know initially gave them a bond. But then, you know, you, you, I think Tom's competitiveness is one of the things that, that my father loved so much about him. You know, that there are days when, when Tom Seaver got on the mound and couldn't hurt you if he hit you with his fastball, <laughs> but would beat you five to four. Because every pitch, every inning, was everything that he had. And that's what, he, you know, he admired so much about him. Talk about 1969. Oh, okay. <laughs> this was fun. That was a fun trip, 1969. I spent the entire summer right after school ended traveling with the ball club. I used to go on all the road trips. Um, I would put on a uniform. My dad would get permission from the umpires and the home teams, and I would work out with the club on the field and then sit in the dugout during the game. So my perspective was, one, as a fan, two, as the son of the man who's calling the shots, for what's going on here, and three, as somewhat of a friend of the players because some of them were only four or five years older than me. And so, you know, and I'm still friends with some of them. But 69 was just an an incredible, incredible year. Everything that took place just fell in right. And... It just snowballed. You know, I, I look back a couple of years ago when the, when the football giants got hot 
at the you know halfway through the football season and made the run and won the Super Bowl. And I said to myself, while it was taking place, I said, you know, this is exactly what took place with the Mets. The second half of the season, they were just on fire. I mean, nobody could go near them. And it just continued on. When, when, and I tell the story because if I live to be 100, I'll never forget it. They, They hand out statistic sheets before every game of your team and the other team. The manager always has an office that's separate from the team. We're sitting in my father's office, first game of the World Series, and I look, and here's Baltimore Orioles and New York Mets, and I look at the statistics sheet of the Baltimore Orioles, and it's hard to fathom what kind of team that was. A lot of people will never realize how good the Baltimore Orioles were. From Boog Powell to Davey Johnson to Mark Belanger to the third baseman who might have been the greatest ever of all time, Brooks Robinson, to the three outfielders who could run all day and catch everything, to three or maybe four 20-game winners and the relief staff that was comparable to none. I mean, it was like an all-star team. And I looked at the sheet and I said to my father, what are you doing on the field with this team? Do you have any idea how good this team is? And he got up, closed the door to his office, and sat down and said to me, you have to understand something. There's 25 guys outside. And they all think they could win. And that's all that matters. Now, that didn't sink in at all. To me, that was just like, yes, I realize that, but there's nothing I can do or change about it. And there you go. Five games later, (laughs) those 25 guys are the world champions. They beat them four in a row. I mean, they lost the first game and then won four in a row. Go figure. Yeah. Go figure. And with, with Tom on the mound that uh, first game. Yeah, absolutely. It was remarkable. So, absolutely. so uh, talk, talk about the party. What, what, uh, what you uh, felt like <laughs> in, that, in that moment that, uh, that uh, the ball went to center field. And, and I think it's very ironic that Damian Johnson's the last out of the, the Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Especially after the season he had. What a fantastic ball player. Um, the party was crazy. I learned in Atlanta um, what could happen because <laughs> I had never seen anything like this. So in Atlanta, remember, I had spent the summer with most of these guys traveling, so we were all, you know, we, we all knew each other. In Atlanta, I just got soaked, thrown into the shower, you know, champagne over the head, the whole nine yards. So the first thing I thought of after this was when I get into the clubhouse, I need to get changed. (laughs) But for some reason, you know, the, the celebration, although it was a greater achievement, it came, you know, on the heels of the previous celebration. 
So it was a little bit more, um, I don't want to say refined, because that's not a good word for it, but it was a little more contained. You know, um, champagne, of course, flowed everywhere. The one sight that I will never forget is that when the party was going on, the fans swarmed the field. As as the, the party was coming to an end, the reporters were leaving. Um, my dad was in the shower getting dressed, uh, you know, getting washed and then dressed. I had gone upstairs to the Diamond Club to look out onto the field. And there was not one blade of grass on the entire field. And I just it was it was awe inspiring to see it. What had what, what had taken place. People had just ripped up the sod to take home pieces. This is what this is what it meant to the fans. Man, that would that just literally could never happen anymore. Oh no. Never ever again. Yeah, the Mets are gonna win another world championship. I'm talking about specifically the Oh Bears no, the people. celebration for sure. <laughs> Absolutely. Uh well before uh we we get to the the modern day uh Mets fan base um and uh, the award that you recently received. Uh, you mentioned Casey Stengel in the nineteen sixty two Mets and I thought we'd briefly talk about about what that was like for you as uh as as a twelve year old. Yes, correct. Correct. Uh and that was, you know, um Casey Casey Stengel was a fabulous baseball man. I mean unbelievable. You know, um great manager, great manager for years with the Yankees. Um, you know, but it was that was a tough position. That was a tough position to be put in having it having, you know, a, an expansion team where uh, unfortunately, like today, you don't have the vast amount of people to draw from. So most of their players, you know, were were on their way out, and uh, it was you know it's not easy. It's it it wasn't easy. Casey was a perfect fit, a perfect fit to launch a franchise because of the notoriety, the, you know, the celebrity status, and and the baseball knowledge. But you know when you have a team that's comprised mostly of 15-year veterans, it's a different scenario. And, you know, it was very difficult in the beginning. Uh, my dad hit the first home run for the Mets, you know, in their history. And, you know, that in some way has some, you know, unbelievable connotations with, you know, winning the first World Series. So the history that he has developed or developed, um, you know, through the Mets and with the Mets is pretty outstanding in itself. And that gets us to the Gil Hodges Unforgettable Fire Award that you received at the Queens Baseball Convention recently. Um, that was great. That was really and, great. And you, you were unaware that you were going to be getting it. And for everybody out there, we have the, uh, the award ceremony on, on video. Uh, you can go to my YouTube page. It's just uh, Sam Maxwell. Um, but, yeah, Gail, uh, talk about that. 
that was that was really a nice turnout. Um, and here's a perfect example, Sam, of, of how the players felt about my dad. I called Art Shamsky and, and said, because he lives, you know, not far away, said, listen, they're going to present this award for my dad, and they asked me to, to make the presentation. I had no idea it was coming to me. You know, would you like... Would you like to come? And he said, "Sure, for your dad, of course. Where is it?" And we went, you know, went through the logistics of it. Art flew in from Florida in the afternoon on Sunday. Took the train to Manhattan, dropped off his luggage, took the train back out to City Field, and I met him at City Field to come to this presentation. That's what it. That's what art meant and the relationship that he had with my father. And this is some 40 years after he passed away. Still no right. problem with it. So it was, it was really great and caught me well, well off guard. Because I asked a few people, do you know who's getting this award? <laughs> <laughs> and everyone looked at me like, you know, what are you talking about? It's you. But they didn't. They just said no. They so, yeah. So that well, went well. Uh, it's it's a remarkable it was a remarkable uh, get together, uh, and it it really does show how uh, connected the fans uh, still are to this game of baseball and to to the uh, the New York Mets and and the National League in New York. Uh, it, it's it's really a special thing that um, not only when it comes to uh, you know getting involved with this Dodgers thing, but but I'm happy to have. Uh, Gotten involved with this uh, this Mets group as well, and I, I know the Mets are going to be uh, be pretty good soon. I really I really have a feeling. Uh, what what are, what are your thoughts on that, Gil? To uh, talk a little bit modern baseball. Modern baseball is that um, I think that that Fred Wilpon, who is just an unbelievable individual, great great man, um, will will do everything in his power. Uh, to to make this club, you know, a, a good club, and he's going to go through it the right way. And his son Jeff, who who is now running the operations, also, a, you know, really really good person. These are people who care. They're concerned. Um, you know, this is more than a business. They they want this. They want to win. And I think they're going to. And I think it's you know they they've got some good nucleus now. Um, you know, some people coming off injuries. You know, we don't know this year exactly, but they're they're definitely in the right direction, and and that's all you can ask for. And with the support of the fans, uh, let's hope it's sooner than later. Yeah, agreed. And the thing about it is that the the way I look at what the Mets have had to do uh, is that you look at their history; they've never really gotten into to a point of of solidifying the foundation to the extent that, you know, the building doesn't fall apart. And you look at a, a team like the Cardinals, uh, which is, 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 you know, I, I hate them, but I also emulate them. Uh, it, it, you know, you want to emulate the, the team like the, the Cardinals. And um, that's what the Mets have needed to do. That's, that's what they, uh, they've needed to solidify the foundation. And uh, Sandy Alderson, in my mind, has uh, begun to do that because they, they needed a long-term solution. And I believe he's going to he's he's bringing it. Absolutely, and unfortunately, you know, as you know, 
it, it's not a scenario that takes place in one year. But as long as you, as long as all the steps are going forward, then I think they're going to achieve everything that they need to. Yep, exactly. Well, Gil, I, I very much appreciate you coming on and talking some some baseball and some Brooklyn this Saturday afternoon. And, and you're welcome to come back anytime, and uh, we'll uh, we'll discuss some more things. Ah, thank you, Sam. We enjoyed it a great deal, and uh, look forward to doing it again soon. Appreciate it. Have a good one. Thanks, Sam. You too. Bye. That's our show, everybody. Have a good Saturday. Take care.